I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. podcast we are going to bring you another season review and we are jumping away from the 1990s now and bringing some of our younger podcasters into the mix one of the more memorable seasons uh, in recent years if you can call it recent years how long ago is it six years quite recent uh, it's a 2013-14 season packed full of incident this one joining myself uh, today to discuss this is Richard Easterbrook Thanks very much for calling us one of the younger podcasts. That's brilliant. <laughs> well, that's, that's made my day. Yeah. No, that, that, that's, a, that's a push. I just said there were going to be younger podcasters involved, right. and then I introduced okay. them. So uh, you want to correlate those two in your mind, then you can do that. Um, <laughs> Rory Fallow. Hello. I'm looking forward to discussing a lot of defeats, as we usually do, but then actually <laughs> some, some highs as well. So mm. it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit like sort of the more recent seasons in a way, except the the nice bits come at the end and the disappointment sort of in the middle. Yeah, well, there's lots to go through. We get, I was just looking at StatCut earlier and uh, we'll try and keep this down to a, a reasonable amount of time, but there's lots to discuss. Tom Walsh is with us as well. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Tom. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? It's been a bit of a, a theme when looking at these, hasn't it, at uh, what the music selection's been. Can anyone name the two obvious bangers of that summer? 2013. I oh. was already looking at this, so I'll defer. Oh, right. uh, Pharrell, her- heavily involved. Uh, yeah, and happy. a happy one. Uh, no, no, that wasn't. That's that's at least a couple of year old. That one, oh, was it? It was like our good <laughs> friend uh, Robin Thicke. Yeah, that was one of them. Oh, yes. No. yes. Oh God. Remember yeah. him before yeah. before that song got <laughs> made him got sued out of his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it literally is. It's uh, it's Marvin Gaye. You listen to Marvin. Yeah, yeah. You listen to Robin Thicke. It's the same. It's the same song. <laughs> how, how he? Sorry, we're going off on a tangent here. But how he, how they contested that in court, I do not know. Mental. I thought you could say that's how they got away with it, but they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Same same song with questionable lyrics. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what, what my memory of, of hearing that was when I was in a, a family hotel in Ibiza, actually, and uh, they used to blast it. So it's kind of uh, not appropriate when you think of it like that, but it's got a catchy no, tune. So, at all. So, so all the kids liked it. I don't think they really understood what was going on uh, in terms of the lyrics. What was the other one then? If Pharrell was heavily involved, that should give it away. He was involved in that as well, wasn't he? He was, yeah. That's what I said. He was heavily involved in both the big summer ones. The one Limmy always reminds people of on Twitter. <laughs> oh, oh, get lucky. Oh, get lucky. <laughs> yeah. Sound of the summer. Sound of the summer. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise it was twenty. 20- 
2013 that I thought wow 2013 two big summer ones yeah I remember that because I remember Sheik and Nile Rodgers played at Glastonbury that year and I was there and that was obviously the big anthem of the summer as Limmy says Also that summer as well, you had Mirrors by Justin Timberlake, which is another like pop banger. That's a pretty strong summer for pop music. When Get, Look- Get Lucky came out, I was um, I was covering, I think it was Newcastle away at West Brom, and I had it on repeat on the way down because I absolutely loved it. <laughs> it was, it was my, my anthem of uh, travelling down the, uh, the M40. It is a good anthem, to be fair. Anything with Daft Punk in, it's a yes from me. So, right, well, we've got absolutely loads to get through. Um... This was the summer Paolo Di Canio put his stamp on things. So um, the context, if people need reminding, was that Martin O'Neill had bought us all the tears really the year before um, with respect. But Sunderland had been generally safe for around four seasons in the Premier League without drama. And then it looked like we were going to sleepwalk our way to relegation. Paolo comes in. Um, we spanked Newcastle. We beat Everton. He keeps us up. And talk about trying to put your own stamp on things. Um, <laughs> did anybody look at the transfer, the transfers in to remind themselves yeah. of the summer activity? Yeah. There's absolutely loads. <laughs> it's like, I'm just looking, uh, I looked at it beforehand, and this, it's like it takes up the entire, all your screen when you look at the <laughs> Wikipedia got, have you, page. Have you, have you got them there now? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Come on then, remind us. Well, all right, uh, I'll do an intake of breath like Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, Duncan Watmore, David Mo... Well, first of all, there's so many like legends on this, on this list. Uh, <laughs> Moberg, Carlson, Diakite, Reberge, Cabral, Manone, Altidor, Barge, Giaccarini, Shalushka, Mavrias, Key, Barini, Desena, <gasps> Alonso, Virginia, Starry, Skocko, Bridcut. <laughs> mm, I mean, Bridcut, Skocko... And Alonso were Gus Poyet's. I know, but Christ. Yeah, <laughs> it's still a lot. I mean, could you remember that, I guess, would you call it an infamous photograph now, where they're all standing out together <laughs> yeah. on the quayside? Yeah, hilarious. Yeah. It's so funny. Thinking, like, how many of these players are going to actually be any good? And Well, you like, know, you what? look at those summer signings. Me and Richard were talking about this before we started recording. So three of them were loan signings. 
that's 14 players. And when you look at their reported transfer fee, it averages out to 1.75 million per player. Like, bringing in that amount of players for such little money. I know we, we were trying to do the money ball thing, essentially. Yeah. We? The Udinese, people, yeah, the Udinese model was, was what was said at the time. And we were all on board with it. Like, not to be totally revisionist, but bar yeah. oh, like yeah. Barini Key, and I guess a little bit later on, Watmore and obviously Minone. None of those players worked out at all. Like, it was just all of them pretty much flopped. It did seem, on the face of it, like a good idea. And let's not forget that, like, Wolves and other teams are using agents now to do their transfer business because they know where the good players are and where they're available. So the idea was kind of right. We probably just used the wrong agent and the wrong manager, uh, which didn't help at all. Um, But people... You you said let's not be revisionist about Arari because people were... A bit sick of this Sunderland team at, at this time, I think. They, they thought, you know, they should be doing... You know, the football was dour and it was a neat idea, wasn't it? Going well, and getting guess... all these players whose, whose contracts were running out on the continent and trying to be a bit creative with who you're bringing in. Well, the but summer before... we didn't know they were all going to be terrible. The summer before, we spent, what, £12 million on Fletcher and £10 million on Adam Johnson. So we were just trying to do the total opposite to what we'd done the season before... Because that season went, didn't go to plan at all. We thought, all oh, right, Fletcher and Johnson will sort of be the missing pieces of the puzzle. You know, Martin O'Neill loves someone, you know, to get across into a good target man. So Johnson supplying Fletcher obviously didn't work out that way. So we thought, right, let's just do the total opposite thing. And like you said, get those players whose contracts are running down. Get these sort of like uncovered like gems as well. Players who like haven't been noticed yet and maybe sell them on for bigger fees. Like Jack Arini, seemed like a massive coup at the time, didn't it? Yeah, the fact that we yeah. managed to bring him in. Definitely, definitely. And we're more on him because it's that's one of life's biggest mysteries how we managed to be so bad for the majority of the season and not even have him on the pitch for the majority of it to try and help us out. Um, do we need to mention, Richard, the, the fact that De Canio came in with a bit of a cloud? Well, I, that, term, that, that, that came before, didn't it? Previously? Yeah, yeah, but it's just a bit context for the season, isn't it? Yeah, so there was a, there was well, there was nothing short of a Ferrari when it happened, and it it kind of, it wasn't just regional press; it was it was the nationals because um, when Di Canio was appointed, it was I'm pretty sure it was during international week, so the national reporters didn't have much to talk about, and it ended up just being this circus. Um, I remember Di Canio's first first game; it was at, at Chelsea. And uh, there was quite a small press room at Chelsea, and it was just full. Of, it was like rammed, which is which is par for the course. But they were all just like jumping on De Canio. One one journalist asked whether he was going to renounce his tattoos, um, which which in practice, in theory, is probably a good idea. But in practice, I don't know how how he could do it. You know, gaffer tape them up or something. I'm not sure. Laser but, surgery. You can get them. You can get yeah. them removed now. It's expensive and and painful, apparently. Yeah, and back back home we had the miners taking away the flag. Um, which was obviously hugely symbolic for for you know for Sunderland being a the, the county Durham football club. Um, it's quite a huge thing. And um, did David Miliband he did he re, he re resign? As, he resigned um, off the back of it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Of all, so, of, I mean, of all the, member, the memorable work he did while he was here, well, and he went to like yeah. a very well paid job in New York, if I remember correctly. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a cheers for that, David. 
<laughs> cheers for whatever that was. Yeah, cheers it. for the, whatever PR stunt. <laughs> I think he needed a. It felt to me like he needed a way to leave. It's like, all right, cool. He's a fascist, right? I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do for me. Yeah. yeah, that's my out. That's my out. <laughs> but say, saying about that summer when we were bringing these players in, it was. I remember it being a very exciting time because, yeah, definitely. Like one of the criticisms of O'Neill, O'Neill's tenure was that we rarely used the European market, and at the time Newcastle were going out and finding all these like young French players and then turning out like doing really well, and then them selling them on for like whopping fees. And I think the idea, in, in theory, was correct, but in practice, was just. Well, disastrous, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I say, I good idea, but the wrong people involved. Yeah, I wrote at the time in a in a, a kind of a season preview that um, that it was just entirely refreshing. This mm. this whole new approach uh, that is torn up the torn up the rule book, started from scratch, um, like kind of rip it up and start again. I was I was kind of massively uh, full of praise of it at the time, and obviously in hindsight, you know, with, without spoiling too much. You know the signings that came in weren't the the roaring successes that they were that they were that they were supposed to be. But I think at the time it was a, it was a, it was a good attitude to take, and there was lots of typical Sunderland signings before that. And Danny Graham was a typical signing for, for us, a lot of money. Know. Yeah, and considering that he was he was kind of looked at by you know as as long ago as Mick McCarthy, then Steve Brooke, Bruce, it was like oh god, yeah, it's a. Uh, it was definitely a Sunderland signing with with all the hallmarks of of it as well. Just a hard working player, low on quality, but just it's going to get average results. And to see kind of the players from from Europe coming in and players that we hadn't really heard of and seen a bit of here and there, it, it was it was exciting. You know, it was, it was good to see those players coming in. Mm. But wasn't they? they could... It was like uh, of the players we bought, there was always that we were chasing Benjamin Mendy for ages. Yeah, and we nearly signed him. Only f- didn't his plane turn around in the air or something? Something like wasn't that, this yeah. the summer of Perutti watch as well? Oh, yeah. It was. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> what a night on the forum that was. Oh, that was like, yeah, anyone anyone who was on ready to go on the Sunderland message board knows exactly... You don't have to say anything more than Perutti watch and they know exactly what you're on about. I feel like we shouldn't explain it as well. I feel like it should be left as a everyone on club. If you know, you see, know. See, I, I'm not on ready to go, but even I get that reference because it was all over Twitter as well. Um, yeah, I guess. Fair play. Yeah, everyone. Should we leave that then? We not. Yeah. We not provide context. Nah. We just say Peruti wash. Okay, hashtag Peruti wash. <laughs> but yes, Mendy did nearly sign for us. I remember how fit the players did all look that summer because we all know about how strict Paolo Di Canio is, and he had the meeting properly training lots. I remember seeing a picture of Danny Graham, and he looked really thin. And um, but we barely played any games, though. Well, that was this is it. It, contradict, it. it contradicts that you then only go and play three pre-season games and one was against a bunch of amateurs wasn't it yeah, there was mates or something weren't there well we did, hang on we didn't yes. we play we played five did we because we yeah, played we did, i didn't yeah. check it's just played, in my head it was three but because we played the uh the, the amateur dozen, asia dozen. trophy if uh in hong kong oh of course so there was yeah. two games out there there was the game against his mates and then and the, two games against yeah. his mates and then midgetland yeah, I can remember that one yeah. when did Johnson well, score the two, one one. The two yeah. games against his mates don't count. Wasn't <laughs> that like wasn't that like twelve nil or something? One of them. Th- yeah. Thirteen one. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I, I wonder not, about that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to go back to the enthusiasm we had when we beat Tottenham in that pre-season game in the Barclays yeah. Asia Trophy, 
like Morberg Carlson scored, Cabral mm. scored, and we thought, oh, here we go. Like we yes. were all like absolutely, we've beaten you know their Premier League team. I know it's pre season, yeah. but you know, beat what's in front of you. All the signs are there. These young, promising players, <laughs> and then I, like Morberg Carlson and Cabral. What like not I, to skip ahead too I, I much, thought, but what I thought to we them? were going to crack it. I thought we were like yeah. I thought, oh, we've actually managed to find a manager that's like mental, but also like quite uh, clever in a way. Because towards the end of the season, we were playing, we were playing well, and I thought these these like exciting European youngsters, God, this is this is really exciting. And oh well. <laughs> <laughs> After that game, yeah. Andre Villas Boas said that that we were further down pre-season than we than they were. We looked fitter, we looked sharper. Both teams returned to pre-season on the same day, so it's obviously what what De Canio was doing on the training ground, you know, banning tomato sauce and all that business was having an effect. Um, but obviously, as as we learn, those kinds of tactics don't don't work too long. Before we well, move on from pre-season, can ever, can anyone remember when like De Canio just went for a walk around the bridges, like during that know. summer? He just like went. Obviously, was like. <laughs> It's the Canio, so like I'm tempted to say it was a bit of an attention-seeking thing where he knows if he walks around the local shopping centre, he'll get spotted and get mobbed, which is like exactly what happened. Like it was just all over Twitter that the Canio was just wandering around the bridges with his assistant manager. Well, he has these issues though, where he gets bored, doesn't he? And he lived, he was living in Cleden, I think, and he said he would just get bored, so he'd walk around. He would go for like a, a 10k run, do some weights, that he was bored because this was like mid-morning, and then, and then training and then it'd be done it'd be done all that um he was great interview richard wasn't he because i remember yeah, going yeah, he was really you know the martin O'Neill was the first son of manager i interviewed and i went from him having 10 questions written down knowing that you're only going to get one word answers or short answers yeah. to seeing asking paolo one thing and that would be my audio copy done of that one question because yeah, yeah. he would talk he would talk for eight minutes yeah usually when when we'd speak to managers or players and there was a few journalists in in the room we'd um we'd we'd one person would transcribe the lot or it'd be done between a couple of people we had to split to canio's press conferences into into thirds because they were so long and they would involve loads of like calls between us because we couldn't quite understand what what the point was trying to make it's like sometimes because he would just go at like a scattergun pace and he'd just hit you with a load of information all at the same time. And it was just like, he'd come out there feeling like he'd done 10 rounds with, with Mike Tyson because it was just <laughs> so intense. He was such an intense personality. It was it was hard to kind of decipher the, the message he was trying to get through to us. Mm. Yeah, good in that way. But as it transpired, not very good um, as a football manager. <laughs> Which because let, let's forget all the comments and the fascist stuff. I think that fell away quite quickly, really. Um, yeah, it did. What 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 became apparent was you got the sense the players weren't buying it; they were too much. Um, but we were still prepared to say, "Well, this is what we this is, we it was almost like it's what we wanted to hear, wasn't it?" Well, the players, you know, tough luck. They're going to have to get they're going to have to get used to it. And by the time the Fulham game came, which was the first game of the season. Um, so we had five people make the debut in that game. Um, Westwood was in goal. Shaluska was right back. Callback was left back. O'Shea and Valentin Roberge, centre half. Oof. Cabral and Seb Larson, central midfield. Um, we had Jacarini and Adam Johnson on the wing. And then Sessegnon was behind George Altador, who 
let's not rewrite history. That his first few games, George Altidore was all right, and it was really unlucky, yeah, yeah. I thought. Yeah, we played yeah. well that day. Like, we didn't play particularly mm. badly. We just didn't defend a set piece properly. And, Aff. you know, that, that's, that's Premier League, isn't it? Like, if yeah. you fall asleep, you'll get done. But didn't Soluska hit the post or the bar with, like, an absolute rocket yeah, from about yeah. a million yeah. yards out? And Altidore, like you say, Stephen, he looks quite handy in that game. He looked quite strong, quite robust. And even though we got beat, and it was a bit underwhelming because of the enthusiasm that had been built up, I remember coming away from that game being like, no, we'll, we'll be all right, though. Yeah. It was we one did. of those... We had a whiff. It, sorry, it was just one of those where you just felt, oh, we've been done there. It's like, you can't be too angry with it. You're just like, oh, they've, they've done... Like, the, I remember Fulham had... I think they only had one shot, and that was it. And, you know, like you said, it just happens in the Premier League sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah, we had our first wise men see a live pod after that, <laughs> after that game. Uh, Richard, you were there. Yeah. Uh, Martin Smith was there and we, we, we discussed this on the last pod one of the other pods we did actually and we were all optimistic I remember um, and even after the next game we drew with Southampton 1-1 didn't we and, and Jack Arrini was about 5 foot 1 scored a header um, and then came Paolo de Canio's only win of that season which I normally wouldn't mention a League Cup game <laughs> but for obvious reasons we have to mention a League Cup game we were losing 2-0 weren't we to MK Dons at home and what was it? How long was left? 12 minutes left, and we were losing 2 0. And then Altador scored, Cotter Wickham scored two, and Adam Johnson scored, and we won 4 2. And that was the start of something else altogether. Um, but alarm bells starting to go off this time about De Canyon, mainly because he was playing 4 4 2. And he, he led us to believe he was his super tactician, didn't he? And this master technician, yeah. uh, tactician. And he was playing four four two. It was the most basic, regimented formation that I can remember seeing. Even compared to Martin O'Neill, who went before him. And it was even yeah. hard to see what we were trying to do. And it was, it was his decisions as well of like playing G in that Crystal Palace game, and then you know played him in that MK Dons game, which we touched upon in the in the quiz pod actually the other day. But he got taken off after like right at the start of the second half. And it was just, it was all unravelling very, very quickly. Um, it felt like we got that result against MK Dons sort of in spite of them almost. Yeah. And then and then came that West Brom game as well, which is God. Well, the reason why G was playing against Palace, because he just sold Stefan Sessegnon, because as, we, as I remember, Sessegnon was in a uh, drink driving incident and then was sold the next day uh, also after we turned down five million f- from Dortmund for G yeah uh, and th- that's what I was thinking yeah this guy's lost it already because Sessegnon was one of it had been one of our best players for the past well since he's arrived really and G had been bar one goal against Man City nothing short of awful and and then then he obviously then he well it looked like he ducked out of a header at Crystal Palace, and it's like, this is this is going. And when Ian Holloway's Crystal Palace are absolutely walloping you, it's like right, something's something's not right here. Can you remember Tacano threw under the bus after that game as well, though, didn't he? When he said, you know, he was kind of saying, "Well, I can't take responsibility for my centre forward retracting his neck." Well, did exactly. Did Shea get sent off in that game as well? 
because I think he gave oh, away a penalty because they scored. Dwight Gale scored a penalty, and I think O'Shea got sent off for conceding it. So it was the typical Decanio thing, like you say, throwing them under the bus, and it's the indiscipline and not committing enough and everything like that. And that's when you start to think, oh, if you're you shouldn't be saying that about play the players in public. At least you can say that behind closed doors, but modern players aren't going to react well to that. And, you know, he'd ostrac- he's ostracised Catamol and Bardsley from the team. Yeah. Who, who, you know, massive influencers behind the scenes. They're still there. He hadn't bombed them out. They weren't sold. Catamol didn't even have a squad number at the time. So when you start to piece <laughs> yeah, lost, all of that together... Catamol lost his... Lost his uh, it was a six he had. He went um, to Cabral. He, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he... And I, I asked him about that at a press conference and uh, and Decanio was like, oh, that it's not a big deal. Um, they 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 just tossed a coin for it and donated some money to charity. It was like, no, that's not. It, you were stripped of it. It was definitely. And like, Catamol ended up with thirty three that season, didn't he? When he when he yeah. finally came back in, um, the iconic thirty three. May I ask? Well, it's a it's a great number. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was it was he he kind of wrote it off as being nothing, but obviously there was there was something there, and there was there was little rumblings going on even even before a ball had been kicked in the Premier League. That that maybe. Yeah. It wasn't going to to be working out for him because he didn't. Yeah, well, have, uh, sorry, didn't they have a big fallout after that Midgillin game? Because the I remember we won one nil, but then there was talk, there was like stories that they'd had a big row after it, and they you know they stormed home in silence or something like that. I don't know. Like well, uh, you might know better than me, Richard. Wasn't Bar- Bardsley made an example of him after that photo in the casino of him lying down, mm. come, surrounded by notes, didn't he? Um, yeah, but he would not. He won all the money. I think Decanio made a public. Um, he made an exception of Barnsley, uh, Bardsley publicly, didn't he? He had a really yeah, long um, rant after on the last game of the season away at Tottenham. It was like a twenty-minute press conference yeah. or something where I, I think he was asked exactly what you were you were both saying, Stephen and Richard. Where he was asked one question and just went for about twenty minutes. And everyone at the time, again, let's not be too revisionist on it. I remember myself included at the time, being like. Oh wow, this is amazing! This is so yeah. refreshing. He's yeah. calling these players out who aren't like doing enough for us. But you think, well, that's all well and good if you actually know what you're doing. <laughs> and it turns out that he just very much didn't know what he was doing. He's very, he's, he's just a fantastic example of someone who can talk the talk, but very well, much can't walk the walk. The thing is, it, it worked at Swindon because these are players that are, were below. They're much below your actual playing ability. Whereas the players at Sunderland were probably, I mean, Decanio is a very good player, but they're at the same period, like point in their career, they're playing at the top top level, and they can turn around. Well, we've got rid of worse managers, well, better managers than you, pal. So, and and <laughs> I think that's that's what that's what did for him. And just to draw things um, to a conclusion for Paolo Decanio, um, it's kind of an iconic scene now, isn't it? When when we got stuffed off off West Brom, and he walks to the Sunderland fans, and it's like you know, it's it's sort of a metaphor. You can imagine it's like somebody walking the Green Mile, isn't it? <laughs> it, it was up thing, didn't he? It was yeah. embarrassing. It, I mean, I know mm. like Mourinho did it like to Chelsea fans, but like he'd won things and done stuff. Like De Canio had like beat the Max. That was it, and kept us up by winning another game. It wasn't really. It wasn't really the great escape or anything like that. We just won two games, which Martin O'Neill couldn't do. So, for him to like, I think we'd all be like clamouring for him to stay. 
Yeah. Even though some were, a lot of people were at the time, and this is where the rotten core thing started um, yes. developing from. And it's, yeah. you know, there was, well, for years, it was like, oh, Paolo had them sussed. Paolo had these players yeah. sussed. And it was well, like. It, it, re- it resurfaced later, didn't it, under Poyet, yeah. which we'll get to. So the rotten core thing was something Poyet said, and then people have just associated that with De Canio saying there was a problem with the players and the fact that these players were looking like they were going to fail again. Um, but it was clear by that point, certainly in my mind, that you know, tactically and this, this guy just wasn't up to being a football manager. That He lost the dressing room clearly um, and he lost the fan base in large, I would say. I know you're saying some, Tom, but... The fact I that Sessegnon was... scored in that game for yeah. West, yeah, oh, yeah. For West so Brom as well, like that kind of just rounded it all off, didn't it? There's that player that you bombed out who is arguably the most talented player in the squad. And then you just come over the fans and, th- come on, that gesture, that was all about him as well. That was him. Yeah. That was his own ego. Him trying to say, well, come on, lads, it's not my fault. What am I supposed to do with these players? It's like, well, you've had all summer yeah. to work with them, Paolo. And... Not not sell one to West Brom so he can score against <laughs> you. <laughs> exactly. And you've got Catamol yeah. and Bardsley, like, contracted to the club, who you're not playing. Like, yeah. This extraordinary incident that we've just been looking at. Paolo Di Canio has gone to the Sunderland supporters at the Hawthorns, it appears, Dion, and just take a look at what happens here because he seems then to start having a discussion with the Sunderland fans. Dion? Yeah, he's, well, obviously he's saying, keep your chin up, it's my fault. You know, and you can see there's a gentleman in, in, in the glasses to the left as we look, starts to say, we've got one point, we've got one point, and... It's, 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 I've never seen this of a manager. Have you ever seen this ever? before? Not really, no. He wants to share his disappointment to, to the terraces. There's a despair, and that displeasure he wants to show that. But he doesn't go too close because he recognises that one or two aren't particularly happy. You know, like, get back into that dressing room and, and go and talk to your players. And that's what he should be doing. There's a chap there saying you're going to be sacked in the morning. Well, the pressure's going to come on to him big time. And he's going to have to stick together with his players. He's very publicly critical of his players. That'll need to change. Yeah. And they are in big, deep trouble. Yeah. Premier League club Sunderland sacked head coach Paolo Di Canio on Sunday after a string of poor results culminating in a 3-0 loss at West Brom. The Italian leaves Sunderland bottom of the Premier League with one point from five matches. Di Canio was verbally abused by travelling supporters on Saturday and was later highly critical of his players. He said he accepted that it was part of the game to face criticism from the fans. His appointment was controversial and the Italian was forced to counter critics alleging that he held fascist beliefs. Sunderland said former club midfielder Kevin Ball would take charge of the team ahead of Tuesday's League Cup match against Peterborough. Madness. Yeah. It was interesting uh, though when I was looking at the reaction to the, the sacking, which obviously came after that game, and I came across like, can you remember like Match of the Day 3, which was just like a brief, I don't know if it still exists, but a brief like chat with like Mark Chapman and he's talking with Shira, Kevin Kilban and Mike Lowen. And they're all saying things in that clip of, you know, you can't talk to players like that. It's clearly all about him. And you just know football's a small world. You've heard from players in that dressing room, definitely, who've, who've told you this. Like, this, is, this isn't you speculating. Like, the must have, word must have been going round in football quite quickly how unhinged he was. Yeah, definitely. I well, remember those... Gary Neville going, going in on him as well about how many signings had made and ripped us to shreds and he's obviously still mates with Wes Brown at this point and John O'Shea at this point so yeah it's like I say it's a small community really isn't it the football one word gets round yeah I was, I was just I was just looking at the team then from that uh, that West Brom game 
I swear, I swear he played like a four-two-four. Yeah, it was Fletcher, yeah. Barini, <clears throat> and Jacarini and Johnson. And that's when I thought yeah. again. It's like you have no idea. We always used to get we always get done at West Brom anyway. But it was just it just looked so it was so easy, like and there was no like, <coughs> the plan was all over the shop and it's just yeah. And then, then having the gall to come over to us and say, "Oh, well, what am I supposed to do?" It's just like, mm. no, you you told you told us you gave us this impression that you were better than this, and it's not. It's not. It's just the same. Mm. Kevin Ball took a uh, the team over for a brief spell. I remember in the Peterborough game again. It's relevant because it was a League Cup, and we know that cup that cup is uh, relevant for this season. How happy the players looked when they scored against Peterborough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, they all did. like ran over, and <laughs> like like they were scored a really important goal in there. And if ever a moment tells you a lot, then that was it. You don't need to elaborate on that. Or, no, no elaboration or explanation was needed to what the players felt about their previous manager. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And then Gus Poyet came. What were people's first impressions of that? I think it was, the, was, it was, it was the obvious appointment it was him and it was him and Di Matteo wasn't it who were the two oh sort God. of favorites straight <laughs> away which is you know again like what what a different time this was but yeah I don't remember being too enthusiastic purely because the season had started so badly so it was hard to get enthusiastic about anything especially after you'd had all this hope in the summer as well thinking everything was going to be different and it's like oh no it's all the same so I was like yeah Poyet's probably the the best choice, but where yeah. where do yeah, we I'd, go? I'd seen Brighton a bit um, covering like covering the likes of Middlesbrough and Newcastle in the cup down at down at the Amex, so I kind of had an inkling of what kind of football Poyet would bring. And I remember saying, I'm, I'm sure I was a guest on 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 the podcast around that time, uh, certainly before the Newcastle game. I was like, I, I knew I knew what kind of football he'd want us to try and play, and it was definitely a brand that we'd probably not seen in a while. Um, in terms of ego, in, in terms of ego, it was similar to what Tacanio brought. He did have a tendency to make it all about him. Um, so it was. I knew. I knew then it was going to be. It was going to be interesting. But I thought it was. A, it was a great, a great appointment for us. Um, so yeah, it was. I haven't seen what he did at Brighton. It was. It was definitely kind of yeah. those foundations it, had been laid. It felt it did like feel like the, the best felt, of a bad bunch in a way. Um, I, I was quite, I was quite hopeful because I, for the first time, it felt like a manager was coming in with a like a set plan. 
He had a yeah. he had a way of playing that he'd been implemented at Brighton. Um, and he, he he came. I remember when his first press conference, he was explaining why how he was going to play, and it just I don't know. It felt it felt encouraging because we were going to have like a manager that had like already knew how he wanted Sunderland to play, not like with the pre like with Martin O'Neill. You kind of it was exciting at first, but then it, to me, just kind of like he just. Assume the players knew how to do these things, and we just we'll do it the same way I've done it for years. De Canio was just complete chaos theory, whereas Poyet seemed a bit more measured. And and until well, it's always this caveat with Sunderland managers at the times like when he gets his play, when he gets the right players in, then we'll then we'll be able to play this football the way he wants. But I, I was op- I was cautiously optimistic about it. Although there was a rumour going around at the time that he <laughs> had a shit shit on the floor with <laughs> Crystal Palace dressing room. Just after the bank, really. off the feet, yeah. It yeah. turned out uh, the bus driver was, I think, wasn't it? Uh, I didn't realise anyway. there was a conclusion to the story. I'm, I think no, it was I just one of, one of football's like great man, mysteries. A kit man or something like that. Or, or, or a, a, shit, a, bus... a shit man. I, guess <laughs> I think it was a bus driver, but the only question mark is whether it was um, intentional or not, or whether he just had... You know, he couldn't get the toilet in time. Um, <laughs> they cover that on one of the Under the Cosh podcasts. Um, can people remember when we lost his first game, 4-0 to Swansea? Uh, yes, because yeah. I, yeah, I was there. And I've, right, ne- well. I've never been so drunk in my life, but go on. Well, <laughs> That's a different story. Can people remember the Nationals match report of this? Yes. Um, in yes. the mirror, which yeah. was... Neil McLemmon. Neil McLemmon, yes. Yeah. Now, I've got, I've got his player ratings here uh, in front of me for that game. Kieran Westwood. Brilliant saves from De Guzman and Mitchell. Powerless to stop goals. Seven. That's nice, isn't it? Um, Andrea Shaluska. That's a good start. Nice start. Useless and gutless. Yeah. John O'Shea. Less gutless than many others. Six. <laughs> Valentin Roberge. Clueless and gutless. Three. <laughs> Phil Bardsley. Gutless. Ha, 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 ha. Two. See that was that was a callback yeah. because Bardsley had put on like an Instagram account when we'd lost to Fulham or when yeah, Canio had lost yeah. a game and he he was he yeah. was laughing about that so maybe yeah. that was the callback yeah. to that. That's definitely what that is in relation to. Well, well remembered. Um, Thank and you. Now remember this one: Lee Catamol has guts, just talentless. Four. <laughs> Oof. Ouch. Seb. Seb Larson, passed it and gutless. Four. <laughs> God. Passed it? Craig. You're like 27. Craig Gardner. <laughs> Craig Gardner. Clumsy and gutless. Four. Mm. Oh, Craig Gardner's such and a Manuel nice guy a, as well. Uh, Manuele Giaccarini. Ineffective and gutless. Five. <laughs> Ad, <laughs> Adam Johnson. Anonymous and gutless. Five. And then, just to wrap it all up, Stephen Fletcher, not as gutless as his teammates. Six. Mm. Oh, that game was nil Fletcher nil at half time. I remember, quite, I remember the club's a... reaction to that at the time. They were they were fuming with with that. Uh, I don't know whether he was banned. I don't think you can be banned for an opinion, but I, I'm pre- pretty sure they were uh, they were taking action of some kind. Yeah, it's not like the club to take action of some kind. Um, <laughs> uh, Say no more on that. Um, so Gus Poyet's next game was against 
Newcastle, as we know. It was that tradition of those few years where the manager lost the first game, played Newcastle the second. There was a lot of debate. I remember having a podcast with Martin Smith um, leading up to this game. We had a Newcastle journalist in as well, a lad called Martin, uh, who unfortunately is friends with Chris. Um, and <laughs> we, were, we were discussing what Poyet was going to do. And he, um, he, he played 4 4 2 and he went for like a British battling side, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he completely pragmatic, didn't he? And. Martin Smith predicted that before, I remember. He said, I think we'll bully them. I think he'll pick a British team and he'll bully them. And we were like, nah, Poyet won't do that. And he did, and that's exactly what happened. And up until that point, Fabio Barini was just this pointless loan signing that was barely getting used. And then what a way to introduce yourself to the Sunderland fans. Yeah, that was uh, that, that that was the first of the run. Well, like the second of the run, but the ones at home were just that one was so special because it just felt the atmosphere from the moment you walked in. Every like I've I said on the Derby Day. Uh, Pod, it's like everyone was up for it, and the players was were so up for it, and that goal is just it's just incredible. I mean, the layoff from Altidore is just just magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> the early, thing goal, ever done. Totally the early goal in that game as well really helped, especially like coming off the back of that battering at Swansea, and you saw just how like the, the stands the south stand like exploded as well it was when, fantastic, that, when that. that went in it was so good and what you said about the peter game Stephen, about how the players looked happy again the look that there as well like as soon as it, like Josie Altador who's this you know I know he had a bit of experience of English football at Hull but <clears throat> American lad who's been playing in in uh, Netherlands at that point he can't really have a full idea of like what that derby is about but look at like his reaction to the goals. He's like absolutely loving it, and clearly, like they'd been sort of oddly bonded by the fact that like De Canio had been such a no pun intended dictator to them, and now they had someone <laughs> coming in who clearly just believed in them a little bit, and like with playing that formation there and like letting them go out and sort of bully the game, just giving them that that belief. It's also the game where like the role of like. Key was like became more prominent. It's like, oh, he's actually like he's quite an astute signing. Um, he just kind of like dictated the game. Well, when he came on, did he come on? I think he came on a sub. Yeah, yeah. he but was he perfect came, for Poyet's style of football, yeah. wasn't he? He like kind of yeah. came into his own from from that game and was proved quite pivotal in like well up until the end of the season. Didn't we have like four central midfielders on the pitch as well for when we started? Wasn't it like the the four four two, the four across the middle were, were John the Johnson players. and Larson started because they combined they? For, right. they combined for the first goal, the short corner, um, and then I'm, I'm tempted to have, I don't know if Catmull did Catmull start in that game? Catmull got started, the team yeah. handy? Yeah, yeah, Catmull started. I was just looking at the uh, the team there. But, uh, I yeah, he picked a very British looking side. Didn't Callback he? maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so it's Westwood, in. Westwood, Bardsley, Dosena, Catamol, O'Shea, Queller, oh, Larson, oh, yeah. Colback, Aldador, Fletcher, Johnson. 
That was also and... the uh, like the rebirth of Phil Bardsley and and Catamol. That was yeah. one of the first things he did when he came in. It's like, well, th- these players are integral to the team, so they need to be brought back in, and and they started to make a difference like almost instantly. Like there was obviously this game, and then our next home game against uh, Man City, which proved even more like there was also in between that catamol going back to his <laughs> oh, back yeah. some yeah. of his old tricks yeah. as well. <laughs> God. Well, that that whole game, that whole game, I was I was I covered that one. And it was absolutely crazy because those two, you know, they ended the game with nine men because we had two late in the half red cards just before half time. Both Catamol and uh, Desena were sent off. And both challenges, actually, the early, most of the half's action involved former Sunderland players and current Sunderland players. So uh, <laughs> Catamol, Catamol was sent off for a foul on El Mohamedi. Um, Desena was sent off in first half stoppage time for a foul on David Myler. Um, Westwood was, uh, Kieran Westwood was injured early because he was a. Uh, Clattered by Paul McShane. Yes. So it was just like all of our ghosts of Christmas past and present were just coming to uh, haunt like, us. Hull were just absolutely horrible. They were terrible to play. as well. Uh, they were a terrible team, but it's like they had all those ex Sunderland players who mm. just turn into the like the like the ultimate shit houses. Yeah, El Mahomedy was always yeah. awful, oh, awful, wasn't he? But we could have got a result that day. Johnson like yeah. had a yeah, chance yeah. near the end where he went through pretty much one on one and hit it straight at the keeper, like. Hull were playing with two players more than us, and they still were quite lucky to win. But me and Matthew <clears throat> talked about it a little bit on the banter pod a few months ago when I think we were talking about Desena. Like the the Catamol sending off's a bit like, right, that's that's one of those where a player like that like goes in, loses his head a little bit. Not I not ideal, but you know, you move on from it. The Desena one, when you consider you're already that's down nice. to ten men. Is like disgusting. It's like he's trying to kill David Myler. It's like Dusan is really good at FIFA as well, and he wants to like take David Myler out of the competition for like the next esports tournament. Like he nearly like kneecaps the lad, especially when David Myler came back from some pretty terrible injuries as well. Just oh, disgusting. He was terrible, Dusano, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, one one you, another one you try and forget. Um, <laughs> I, I mean. Gus Poyet, if you if you remember, used the Southampton Cup game to then put his stamp on things and Sunderland start playing football. And it's really, really fitting that when we beat Man City, who were the best team around at that time, they won the league that year, um, Phil Bardsley scored the only goal for, for a, a right-back who is quite, you know, slightly above average, Premier League stand-up, a very boring, unassuming right-back. He's had far too much... To do with this narrative of this season, <laughs> but the thing is, and, and, and him scoring in this game, caps it all off. You say he was boring. I mean, well, first of all, he knocked Wayne Rooney out in his kitchen, but then <laughs> it's also like he was he was good for us, and it's like to this day we've never replaced him. Yeah, exactly. Like people were so yeah. desperate for us to get like a more sexy, yeah. exotic right back in, but. I, you know, I liked Bardsley. I like, I like Bardsley. Bardsley yeah, would like twat one in from like thirty yards now and again as well. Yeah. Like you know, Everton in the FA Cup, I'm scoring one at home to West Brom, and he, you know he loved playing for the club. And there is a lot to be said about that. And like yeah, you say, yeah. Tom, we we never replaced him like at all. And this was a like fair play to him as well. He could have like easily shrunk and hid after what had gone on, or you know just refused to sort of train or or whatever. But he was. You know, people go on about players like Oviedo being like ultimate professional because he played in League One and stuff. But what Bardsley did to come back in and you know 
do quite well for the club. It's it's a big testament to to his character, and it's obviously something we could have done a lot more with in in more recent seasons. Definitely, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't like I say, I wasn't meant as an insult, but I think just for he wasn't, um, you know, somebody who would dominate games. He's a right back at the end of the day, and he, yeah, exactly. he's involved. He's involved in this narrative the whole way, isn't he? Um, but by the time we beat Southampton, there we 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 play Chelsea in the in the cup. We're still struggling in the league, though, aren't we? And 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 those those weeks when we were struggling, we were we were bottom of the league for the majority of it. But I've never felt more sure that a manager, maybe apart from Big Sam, would turn it around because we were all right. We looked all right, and you felt like we were the wrong side of some unlucky results as well, like going to Stoke and getting a red card that was never a red card. Um, Chelsea came and beat us four three, and Hazard had probably his best ever game for Chelsea. Yeah. Um, where it was you know it was it was a joy just to watch him that night and be present? How sensational he was! And were people still on board at that time? Did or did were people starting to really yeah, yeah. be worried around uh, Christmas time? I mean, no, I was, no, you I felt was, something was. Uh, you felt something was happening. You felt you felt like you, like yeah. you say about Allardyce. You felt that there was there was a pattern of play that you could get behind, and that that. It was going to bring results sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. yeah I it, think I think when there's an identity there, it makes it much easier, doesn't it? Wait and see yeah. what the plan is. You know, under O'Neill, it was so. You'd see there was a vague idea there, and Decanio was just clueless, and he gave himself. I know it's like petty, but Decanio got a summer off the back of beating Newcastle, and when you get a win over Newcastle in your second game as Sunderland manager, like that is going to give you a bit of leeway and we had you know yeah. getting the result against Man City was massive was that the fourth of our consecutive home game 1-0 wins over Man City yeah. as well uh, yeah I, I think, think that was so. the last one yeah yeah and then you've got we had the league cup going as well so there was these little sort of like positive sort of like dropped in there and as well against Chelsea out the door finally scored like a league goal <laughs> so you know you could even get a goal out of Josie can you remember, so we played Chelsea in the quarterfinals of the League Cup in December. We were bottom of the league. There was only 20,000 there, 20,700. Yeah. Um, can people remember what seemed to spark yes. the performance? <laughs> yeah. we were losing. What, the, what happened? The guy ran on the pitch dressed as... <laughs> no, he just ran on the pitch, didn't he? I was going to say he was dressed up, but was he dressed no, up? Just, as... No, I don't think so. He, he might have even had a top on or a tracksuit or something. It's yeah, and he just, like, no one came to get him off the pitch or anything, <laughs> and he was, like, air-humping in front of Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> like, and it did, like, you're totally right, Stephen, like, the crowd, the crowd was quite flat, and then it just picked up off the back of that. It was so, so bizarre. Yeah, and then, because Chelsea were taking that game... Seriously as well. Um, Frank did Frank Lampard score? Could have a look now. It was well. It was oh, an own. No it was an own goal. Oh, it was an own goal. But Lampard was kind of behind it. So yeah. So Chelsea have got. I mean, Schwartz is in Schwartz is in goal. But apart from that, they've got Azpilicueta, Ashley Cole, Mikel, Cahill, David Luiz, Kevin De Bruyne, Frank Lampard, Samuel Leto, Willian, and Shuri. Cheryl is it? Sherla. Cheryl. Cheryla. Andy Sherrill. Oh, yes. Sherrill. Sherrill. Oh, we're not going to let you forget that one, Stephen. <laughs> Sherrill. Sherrill and Ashley Cole. It looks like an eye. It looks like my eye. I know who it is now. It's a curly eye block, isn't it? Yeah, right, okay. Um, Cheryl. Well, that's, that's it's it. A, it's like Chelsea, like, they wanted to win that game. It's like a quarter final of a cup. And it's like, it was in Mourinho's, like, 
like tail end. Well, it was just before he went mad. What did they win? Anyway, because they they come back. I can't remember if he'd come back that season or yeah. And so he would have wanted to win another trophy to keep this he's like dynasty going because I don't don't think he won anything that year and then they won the league and the league cup the following year. Yeah. So for us to beat them and us also when we did beat them it was like oh like shit we're like we've like secretly like quietly got into a like a league cup semi-final without anyone really paying attention. Yeah. And he's he's brought yeah. Eden Hazard on for extra time as well. Yeah, they weren't mucking about. They wanted to win it. Mm. Yeah, when Key yeah. scored as well, like even though it was quite a low crowd, one of those odd things about like it was a low crowd, but it was like it was like bouncing when that goal went in, and you felt a bit of like pride for for being there as well, like, even though it was a bit like lower. And yeah, that's that's when it really started to lift because you were like, well, we're a win away from Wembley. We were going to get either West Ham, probably wanted to avoid Man City, and Man United, who was struggling as well. So you you knew what that you at least had a chance of like the big day out, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, mean, I wanted Man United at that time. I was thinking if we got United, I think I was thinking I think we could get over two get legs past, as well. Yeah, uh, well, over the two legs thing, I was, I was a bit dubious, but I thought we can definitely beat them in one game. If we could get them over two, but it said they, I thought that would be the best chance because I feel I think it, you'd feel sick if we had to play West Ham over two legs mm. because you, you, we would think, oh, we're supposed to beat these. Whether yeah. it's Man United or City, City, you have no chance. Man United is like, well, we could, we're the underdogs here, and we could still spring a surprise, and they're not what they used to be, and all that. Yeah, yeah. So. Man, Man City annihilated West Ham, didn't they? Yeah, it wasn't like yeah, yeah, seven it was or eight nil. nil on aggregate or something. Yeah, they totally annihilated them, and this this put the air in our into our tyres for the season, really. Um, this this Chelsea result, um, because, well, sorry, the Man U result does really because. Um, that's the seventh of January, and that's when our form starts to pick up. Well, before um, that, we've beaten Everton on Boxing Day as well, which yeah. no, no one saw coming, which was incredible. Like we got absolutely battered. Leon Osman managed to play a, like a crap back pass to, to Tim Howard, which Key just seized oh, upon. Yeah. Try to yeah. take it round him, get sent off, puts the penalty away, and then we just, despite having ten men, we were the, we were the ones hanging on. Manone had the game of his life and that's actually where it really started to turn around in the stands because that's the first time I remember hearing the fans saying things can only get better that was like yeah. going constantly because I was in the away and that day that was going constantly throughout the game everyone was singing for Manone we had like Roberge and Diakita as our <laughs> centre half yeah. like who it was just this, we had this like siege mentality, sort of almost actually what De Canio wanted us to have. We finally had it because Poyet had managed to unite the players and the players and the management were united. And as well, we never won at Everton. Like I know we'd finally beaten them at home under De Canio the previous season, but we never won at Goodison Park and we went and got this fortuitous 1-0 win, grinding it out. And you came away from that thinking... That's the kind of result you need in a relegation battle, the one where you get bad, but your keeper has, you know, the game of his life and you just you manage to see it out and if we can do that with January on the horizon as well, chance to strengthen a little bit, there's a good chance we can get out of this. 
And it, it was so followed was that up Cardiff like, game as well. Yeah, I was about to say that Cardiff yeah, yeah. game. It was it was nuts that because that's when I think were the fans also singing uh, Three Little Birds around that time as well. Was was that the kind of the other refrain? I do. I think they did were. Did we not start singing that like a season or two before? Oh, I'm not sure. I absolutely Have hate I... that song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's the one chant I just I, li- I absolutely despise it. It's it's a horrible chant, and it's to me that's like oh don't worry we'll just be shit forever. Anyway, anyway go go back go <laughs> back. I, I, I guess it's it. the opposite of things can only get better, isn't it? That's like a bit, that's still quite defiant, but acknowledging that, yeah, you know, we're on the up. Well it's, it's a bit Bobby, like we're on our way almost, isn't it? Yeah. It became like a re- our Rebel song, didn't it? Things can only yeah. get better that, that, that season. Yeah, it did, yeah. yeah but that Cardiff on. game, like you touched on there, Richard, that was the same thing about, like, we got that little bit of luck as well. Like, we're 2-0 down after what, I think it was less than 10 minutes to go when Fletcher pulled it back and then... Mm. We get yeah, that t- that equaliser that just takes a million deflections. Like mm. so, like and the celebrations off the bench, like Catamol and Poyer were like the, the ones like amongst it. And it's like right, the team are finally back together. And I didn't go to that yeah. game, but I remember screaming down the living room at our parents when that goal went in. Do you want to talk about like that? Are really difficult not to celebrate when you're in the press box and you have to be professional. <laughs> it's like really. I- I've, I've, I've I pride myself on only having celebrated once, and that was when Montari scored. Um, against uh, against Bolton late on but nobody could see us but at Cardiff it was very very difficult not that to, seems not like to a strange a strange time to use your one life up Richard <laughs> <laughs> no, it was very early on as well it was just like oh Christ can't do that again also do we want to talk about the, that Cardiff game as well we were really good <laughs> like that was the most like annoying thing about it and do you want to talk about Josie Altidore's miss oh god game? yeah open goal Nearly smart. Well, it's one of those you know when you're in an away game and it's just like, oh, you had a match of any kind, and you see something like that, and the rage takes a hold of you, and you want, and you end up like punching a seat, and then you realise <laughs> how much punching a seat actually hurts. Yeah, God, hey, God, I was like, at that point, it's like you're you'll never score for us ever again. Yeah, that, well, we said he started quite well and he was unlucky, but this is what ha- can happen to a striker. Look at Will Grigg now at the time of recording. <laughs> This is what can happen to a striker when their confidence goes because he turned into a bit of a joke figure and I feel really, I sympathise with him on that because like I say, he did come in, he was playing well and he, he, he wasn't cheap and he just, he didn't get the rub of the green but he got to a point, Newcastle away aside, where he just looked like nothing was going to go off him at all yeah. and that was typified by yeah. a miss like this, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> It is a bit of a shame for him, but it did get the point of ridicule almost with if Josie scores were on the pitch and stuff like that. But like I say, it's just how quickly it can happen, isn't it? Well, this mm. this week I was quite surprised he was saying how much he enjoyed his time here. Oh, maybe yeah. he's just maybe just doing that to be polite or, you know, just... Well, yeah. I heard, just I to that clip of him talking, it's with Stephen Caldwell, isn't it? Yeah, and he's like, yeah. He, yeah. He, he, like he sounds like actually quite enthusiastic. He's going yeah, on about yeah. how amazing the fans are and stuff. So yeah, but he never, but he never got, he never got abused or do you know what I mean? Like, oh, like I, 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 almost... I, I don't know. There's that amazing thing that BT Sport picked up, <laughs> yes, against oh, Southampton. But that, oh, yeah, that fella just some Raji block. Yeah, I know, but I, I know he did get. But that was so funny. Just call it out to door like rubbish. It was, but generally, generally, as, as Sunderland fans go, as, as, as players go, getting grief off Sunderland fans, he didn't really. I thought because people could see he was trying. Yeah, and, that, and, that's and, and that's thing. generally all you want. Yeah, 
and, and yes, it did get a bit. It got a bit comical at times, but that was that was more pub banter, wasn't it? Yeah, or concourse concourse banter rather than you know widespread chanting or booing yeah. or anything like that. You know? And had he, had that he scored, on. everyone would have been so like beyond delighted. For Happy him. for him, yeah, yeah. 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 Like Danny like, when like when Danny Graham eventually scored. Yes, my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, and we. It, it it did. We we started to play well by by that point, um, and and Manchester United in the in the first leg of the semi final. And as Tom said, he did fancy chances a little bit. This was David Moyes' Manchester United, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And 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 we should have beat them in the league game when Borley was manager, but Yanazai scored two. Worldies. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And we were the better team that game, so we we won two one. Ryan Giggs' own goal that's got here. Um, I can't really remember that. If I'm being honest. I thought it was a Barsley goal, I remember. Yeah, at the time. it's like a free kick when it was like right on yes. half time. Yes, I can't remember it now, yeah. That yeah, Barsley, I thought. It's got anyway, it's got Ryan Giggs here and then Vidic equalised. Um I remember that clearly because I was in the North Stand at that time and I can remember the Man United song fans singing the Vidic song, which is amazing. One of the best songs ever invented by football fans. <laughs> the song they have for Vidic. Um I'm sure you've heard it. If you haven't No. Go on, sing it. Yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't you know, don't know the vid- You don't know the vintage. Come, grab the guitar. Uh, so, <laughs> you, you never heard it? No, no I, I mean, so, no, just so refresh, year, refresh my memory. So this here. Nemanja Vidic, whoa. Nemanja Vidic, whoa. He comes from Serbia. He'll fucking murder you. <laughs> That's quite good. Right, Richard, can you clip that, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe I haven't heard it unless you just wanted me to sing that. Oh uh, yeah, uh, I did. I did. <laughs> I have. I've heard it loads. <laughs> which will be fair enough. Yeah, no problem. Don't mind playing up to the gallery for that, right? Um, and we won two one again. Only thirty one thousand there, but the atmosphere was brilliant. I remember again. Now, there's something you mentioned there, Rory. When this happens, because it happened with Portsmouth in the playoffs as well, for whatever reason it is, whether it's just because it's just the hardcore fans turn up, those are some of the best atmospheres I can remember at the stadium. Yeah, like Arsenal in the FA Cup under Martin O'Neill. That was a similar one with a low crowd, but really good atmosphere. And again, when Barini scored the penalty to put us 2-1 up, it felt like there was 40-odd thousand in the ground. Like, it was... I think that's what it is. I think you're right. It's it's cost the hardcore then. You don't have like like nothing. That there's anything wrong with like people who just come games like occasionally. I'm not going to be like, you know, against modern football hashtag dark fruits lad about at all. But like the the hardcore do get more invested emotionally in it. So that release of emotion when important goals comes in, it, it comes out more organically. I guess doesn't it? Do you think it's the element of defiance as well? Yeah, probably, and I mean, we're a, f- we're a football club that's built on defiance, aren't we? You know, we're, we're never like, even at our best times, we're never really doing that well. So, and that's like part of the area as well. So, I think that's kind of inbuilt in you if you're from yeah. the northeast. I, let alone I feel like Sunderland. it's almost like you always think, right? Okay, I was hoping for more than this, so let's show them how good we are as a fan yeah. and really get behind them. And, like, Man United bringing, like, 5,000 up as well. Like, now nah, mm. we'll show you what, like, real fans are and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And things did pick up at the league at this time. We got to Fulham and win convincingly. We'll not give too much credit to the guy behind that. 
Um, Josie out the door, step overs though. That yes, great. yes, that. <laughs> and, John um, Anna Reese again, absolutely roasted all day. <laughs> self My 21st birthday that day, I had a lovely time. Oh, was it? Oh, there you go. That was the day I got offered out by a Fulham fan. Oh, the, oh yeah, you talked yeah, about this on the air. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. 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 they took ready. People are going to have go and have to reference all, uh, listen to all over podcasts to get the references for this. So. It's like a Wikipedia yeah, page, page this, isn't it? With all like the little like <laughs> sort of like citations there and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good day. Because it, I mean, it brings us on to Newcastle as well, um, which um, oh, that was actually after the, the second semi-final. But I'll just brush over now because all I was going to say is we're not going to really go on about that too much if people want to go on and listen to the Derby Day thing then. That they can, but obviously we will talk about it. But before that, Old Trafford away. Has anybody ever seen a more mental game of football ending <laughs> up in with the result that ended up <laughs> uh, in Sutherland going to Wembley? And does anybody want to talk us through that game or tell people the memories of that game? Uh, well, did, every, did everybody go? I, I know. Yeah, I went. Yeah, we were yeah. all there, weren't we? Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's so I. Uh... I'll go first if you want. Uh, I managed. To, I managed to. Get, <laughs> I left work at like midday because I was only. I was working in Leeds, so I went over to meet my brother in Manchester, and we thought, oh, we'll get there about two. Uh, and then we, you know, these. Uh, I don't know how well you know Manchester, but there's that where the where the big Selfridges is the Oyster Bar pub, which is a Sam Smith's pub, and there's, uh, you know, it's two quid beer, and there's a big beer garden outside. It's usually where all. Um, like European away fans go to if they're visiting either Manchester team, and that place just filled up so quickly. And I've never like Manchester. I've never seen so many Sunderland fans like there. And I was meeting one of my pals who was a United fan, and he goes, uh, and I had to tell him if he was wearing a United top to like cover it up because it's full of our absolute like madheads. I just the, the the whole the whole day was or the whole evening just was it was just so intense from getting the the tram there and then finding out that Van Persie and Rooney both weren't playing and then the match was just I've never been so exhausted and so elated and so like just everything was drained out of me. Feeling that Sunderland might be vulnerable here. Well back. It's 2-2 on aggregate. We go to extra time. Barsley can hit one here. Oh, and De Gea! Oh, my goodness! What a mistake and what a time to make it. And for Bill Barsley, six years to the day that he left Manchester United. 1-2 with Smalling. He's in here, Adnan Yanazai. Here we go. Manchester United have lost their last two penalty shootouts. Craig Gardner, who is an excellent striker of a ball. But not this time. Too high. And in a matter of moments, really, with the late Hernandez goal and the first penalty... Suddenly, Wembley looks a long way away for Gus Poyet. Well back against Manoni. 
and he's missed extraordinary Stephen Fletcher has played the whole two hours despite a sore Achilles tendon oh and De Gea saved it just the right way I think Fletcher telegraphed it rather so three penalties none scored Darren Fletcher Manchester United's captain this evening a man for the big moment, yes. Now Marcus Alonso. But he scores. Has Sunlinar off the mark. Adnan Yanazai. Who doesn't look, from what we've seen of him, that he's got a temperament that will be too phased by such responsibility. I need to get the... Uh, Mud from his studs though. Short run up though. And it's saved. And he does bow to the pressure. Key now, who scored a Premier League three-point winning penalty recently at Everton. And he scores here. And Sunderland are in front. Phil Jones. And what's Jones got? They need him to score. Oh, and he skied it. And Sunderland are nearly there. Johnson. No! But Raphael still has to score. To take it beyond the five into the sudden death. Been an astonishing shootout. Of penalty failures. Manchester United cannot afford another one. And they've got one and Sunderland go to Wembley. Saved by Manoni. It is sensational for Sunderland and Gus Poyet. Another disaster for David Moyes and his Manchester United. A quite extraordinary evening. Celebrating Bardsley's goal. Took it out of you because you, you thought that was it when Bardsley, like, like yeah. rightly so, we thought that was it when Bardsley had scored. Yeah, so when we won on penalties, and the penalty shootout was so draining because you know, Craig Gardner steps up, here's this brilliant penalty taker. We've got you know, if if ever you wanted, if you could have picked any Sunderland penalty yeah. taker, past or present, in a penalty, sh- like if you were naming your five, Craig Gardner would have been in there, and he like blazes it over the bar, and then. You know, like then they keep missing, and we've got the chance to win it. When and then Johnson misses, and then like Manone finally saves to send us to Wembley. I was just knackered by then. I was just almost mm. stood in disbelief because I was in the corner, but really near the United fans. So I had a really good view of our fans in the top tier. So it was like I was watching them as much as anything. And I remember like thinking, just as the penalties were about to start, like looking at that top tier of away fans and the fact that we took like 9,000 down there and just thinking like if there's one set of fans that just deserve this to just get to a cup final like just please let it be with us tonight like and it it was really emotional like when it went in like I was there um, I was stood with um, both my parents and I can remember my, my dad resembled like Edvard Monk's the scream with his like reaction, not just cause <laughs> not just cause he's bald, but because like it was both hands like at the side of his face, like open mouthed, and it looked like 
it was almost like something else had happened to distract him from what was going on. Like he was just like that shocked about us getting because you know it had been such a long time as well. Like we'd obviously been in the playoff final in '98, but it had been yeah. more than a generation since we'd been to a cup final. It was such a such a big deal for us to find, and so unexpected. And like the circumstances of us getting there in this ridiculous season. Yeah, especially like, because it, yeah, we we'd been we'd been you know. We got promoted, and all we wanted was mid-table um, mediocrity, really. Um, and then when we got, but when you get there, you want more, and you thought, why can't we go and win a cup, and why can't we get to Wembley? And the fact the game, you said the word there, Rory, exhausting. I mean, you know, Johnny Evans scored for them first, and Bardsley equalised for us with a. I mean, I don't think anybody will ever forget Martin Tyler. I mean, even though we wrapped the game, everybody's seen the game back, and Martin Tyler's commentary on it. If you listen to that clip now where it just says De Gea's name and then it goes off into a different tone and he screeches it. Everybody knows what that is. Everybody knows what that moment is. It's an yeah. iconic goal now. And then, like, as you said, that's that would have put us through because before that, we were going out in the way of goals. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, we would lose. Oh, hang on, would we? No, it was one, we were losing 1-0. We won the first leg 2-1. Yeah, because away goals only counted after extra after time. Extra time. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was two. Stupid. it was 2-2. Two, two. And then Bardsley makes it three two to yeah, us, and I wonder as well anyway. how many players didn't see because um, it was Hernandez who equalised, wasn't it? Yeah. Because I know for a fact my cousin missed the goal because he was too busy facing the other way with his top off, still celebrating Bardsley's goal. Like I wonder, out of the nine thousand that were there, how many other people just didn't were too busy singing Kesarasara and didn't notice until they heard the roar of seventy thousand. Well, I mean, fans. of all you, you, of all you, the Sunderland things to happen, the most peak Sunderland things to happen, I think that Hernandez goal was very much up there. Yeah, it's like we've gi- you've been given this possibly one of the greatest feelings of my entire life, and then within about thirty seconds, it's like, <laughs> oh no, by the way, you're still Sunderland. Yeah, sorry, lads. Yeah, you're still Sunderland. You, 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 you've gone from loving them with all your heart to thinking this is why I do it. <laughs> To to less than a minute later, saying, I nah, that's, hate you so much. Yeah, I hate yeah. you so much, Sunderland." <laughs> it's yeah. yeah do do you think minute. beating Man United to go to a cup final is that easy, pal? <laughs> nah, nah. You got yeah. you got another half an hour of this. <laughs> yeah, and the, the penalty shootout, which was the worst, surely of all time, or best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of just how bad those penalties were. And that in itself was exhausting, on top of the 120 minutes that we had. Um, and, you know, that was just, just a lovely time to be a Sunderland fan and one, I will one just, you won't forget in a hurry. I will just say that I've, I've been eulogising about this a lot. But I, I was brought up in Manchester. Everyone I went to school with supported Man United. They'd won trebles, they'd won everything. And it's just, I always wanted Sunderland to beat them. And they'd beat them once or twice, but to beat... Man United at Old Trafford to go to Wembley. It's like with my brother next to us, and our like picture is now like on my mum's, like framed in my mum's house. It's just like this is this is the best best thing ever. It's like it won't get much better than this. Yeah. Were you in the press, Richard, for that then? I wasn't at the semi final. No. Um, I, I, th- I think I was I was on the desk that night, so I, d- I didn't go at the semi. Um, so I remember. Uh, yeah, watching it on on telly, but it's it's not the same. But I remember the um, <laughs> I remember the there was a video from the United end um, for the Bards goal, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And the penalty American, shootout as well. Some yeah, American just, filmed it. Yeah, the noise. Even from just like mobile phone footage. Absolutely. Just to be there. I would have loved to be there. Um, especially hearing about, you, you know, your stories. And remember Gareth, Gareth eulogised about it quite a lot as well. Um, uh, yeah, I really wanted to be there. <laughs> and it's not the same in the press box anyway. It's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> you can't dive <laughs> over really... people. No, no, no limbs at all there, just <laughs> fingers. Well, w- right. Winning the semi-finals is as good as it gets for Sunderland because we always lose in the finals. So, um, w- yeah, if we were ever going to do a great success podcast, it would be semi-final after semi-final yeah. after semi-final. <laughs> yeah. Forget about the Wembley stuff. Um, were people, what were people thinking about? Because it's a relegation battle and we've had lords. But were people, how distracted were people by this? A I bit, think it, but, it, it, it took up the conversation, didn't it? Yeah, because everyone's wondering how to get a ticket. <laughs> but it's also our God, form had month. picked up. Our form had picked up. We beat, we beat Fulham, and we got a, like a good draw against a good Southampton team. Beat Stoke, and then walloped Newcastle. And so everyone was thinking, "All oh, right, yeah. okay, we're going to a cup final. Oh, we should, we should be all right in the league." It's and. Yeah, it was quite, I don't know, it was quite exciting. We think, oh, we might finish, I don't know, mid-table or something. Well, the win after Newcastle, we were mid-table. We went up to 14th oh, after that. Yeah. And our form, after, after beating Newcastle, after the 10-game form for us then was we'd won four, drawn four, and lost two, which is, that's mid-table form. Well, probably mm. better than mid-table form, to be fair. So I think it's fair enough that people kind of stopped worrying about the league for a second and did just get focused on... Booking trains for Wembley. Is there going to be Getting a phase tickets. three? Yeah. Oh, God. And, uh, and, and during that February, we... I was the worst person at all, like, during that month, because I had no purchase history. Um, I must have been in the press box most of the time. I, I, I hadn't had a season ticket for, for, like, four years. So I was I had no chance at all unless uh, unless I went to phase three. So, Same. Uh, Same. Which it didn't. So, <laughs> so I had to settle for, uh, for a golden ticket in the press box, which... Again, is not the same. Yeah, well, I mean, I was rewarded for my patience 22 years earlier <laughs> when I didn't get a ticket for the 92 Cup final. And I said, well, I'll not let that happen again. I'm going to get a ticket every year. And eventually, eventually it paid off. It was, it was 22 years later, but eventually it just shows it's a waiting game. So if you go and get a season ticket now, you might be rewarded in 30 years. I went twice last year. It's crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I still, I still think it's great. No, wrong. I eulogised this on our lost away day pod, but well, I guess we'll go into more detail about why I think it's great when we get to the to the cup final itself. Well, we're going to do that in part two. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.